0: This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right now. Now at parkpower.ca. Now, you do not have to answer this question if you feel that it is not something you wish to have in a public forum. Have you ever been in trouble with the authorities?
1: Not technically, no. I was once chased by security but it wasn't because of anything I did.
0: Fair enough. I have been harassed by security, but that's the closest I think I've ever come to, like, a brush with the law. Uh,
1: short of being, like, occasionally pulled over in traffic, I've I, never really been in trouble. I've been check-stopped. Trouble. I
0: don't know that I've ever been pulled over, but I've been check-stopped. Yeah, uh, I've, I've I'm received always a couple picked of, for check-stop.
1: I've received a couple of traffic tickets. Nothing crazy high level. I've never been in like a high-speed chase or anything. I no. was a good kid.
0: I, I was also a pretty good kid. And now I try the, not to
1: speed very often anymore, so. Uh,
0: my brush with security came at uh, the world-famous West Edmonton Mall. One of the, I think at this point, it's like the sixth largest mall in the world. It's <laughs> It's been slowly going down the rankings. But uh, still, pretty big place. Um, we had gone to see, I want to say a movie. Late teens, early 20s. And we were leaving... And it was quite late because we'd gone and seen a later film. And I had purchased uh, like a soda, a pop. I want to say it was a Sprite, actually, in the food court on our way out. That sounds like you. Yeah. Like just a can of of something refreshing because it was like a warm evening or something. And we had all piled into my friend's van because he was the one who was providing transportation. And then suddenly a security detail like pulled in behind us and hedged us in. We were like, oh, my God. And the two like mall cops... Got out and sauntered over and asked us uh, what you guys been doing this evening because there are licensed establishments in West Edmonton Mall. Yes, absolutely. And I think that they thought like group of youngish men making their way out of the mall late. One of them carrying a can. These guys are definitely drunk and they're about to go drunk driving. So we were like, oh, we were just seeing a movie, officers. <laughs> and they were like, unbeknownst oh, what to you, them, this what you got? Nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, what you got in the can there? And I was like, I have a Sprite, and I held it up, and they were like, all right, will you? You keep your noses clean. And they <laughs> sauntered back to their car and drove off, clearly deflated. <laughs> and uh, on the one hand, it's like, I mean, we didn't really deserve to be kind of harassed by those security guys, but on the other hand, I feel kind of bad for them because <laughs> that was probably the most exciting thing that happened to them that evening. Is like, oh, we got these guys. We got <laughs> these guys good. And oh no, they're just a bunch of nerds and they're soda. <laughs> uh,
1: my brush with security uh, happened when I was about... Uh, 12, 13 years old. Uh, We had taken a day trip down to Drumheller. It was my mother, myself, my best friend, and her mother. Our parents had dropped us off at the Royal Tyrell Museum because we wanted to go. My best friend is Melissa because it matters later. Um, And they went off shopping or coffee or whatever it was. So Melissa and I were wandering around the museum together, having a lovely time. And then when we were about... Uh, I'd say about, like, 85% of the way through the museum. The loudspeaker comes on, and this very polite voice says, Anita and Melissa, your ride is here. And I went, oh, good, our moms are back. Let's make our way forward. Not five minutes later, not even. The loudspeaker comes on again. Melissa and Anita, security is on their way to escort you. And... We were two, like, good kids. We look at each other in stark terror, turn around, and run backwards through the museum. Like, full tilt. Just running. It
0: it would have, at this juncture, been faster for you to just finish to the exit.
1: Yes, it absolutely would have. But we panicked (laughs) and didn't think of that. And, of course, absolutely everyone in the museum suddenly knew who we were because there were two young girls tearing through a museum. Had we proceeded forward, though, we would have run smack dab into the security guard who was coming to get us. And this whole thing happened because my mom thought it would be funny if security went put handcuffs on us and escorted us out of the museum, and the security guard agreed with her.
0: So, on the one hand, kind of a dick move, security guard. (laughs) But on the other hand, again, probably the most exciting thing that's happened to him in a while.
1: Yeah, probably. I don't think they have a lot of museum heists at the Royal Tyrell.
0: I mean... If you want to steal some bones, that's the place to steal some bones.
1: Valuable bones, right? It's true,
0: yeah. Um, at any rate, our brushes with security surely do not pertain to anything that is going to happen in this chapter. Uh, but a quick recap of last chapter in which our protagonists are apprehended at the airport, escape from the airport, make their way into the blazing sun, see a familiar face in a crowd, and then board a cramped sardine can like bus. <laughs> To make their way to Fez, and that leads us into Chapter 12 of Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. So the duo spends the rest of the day on the bus to Fez.
1: A hot and sweaty bus.
0: Yeah, they stop a few times on the way because it's a bus route. Yeah. But the bus never really fully clears out. Like, it's just always packed with people. And when they arrive, it's like nighttime. They're into the evening.
1: Yeah, like they spend a lot of time on this bus.
0: Yeah, and Nick is actually a little surprised at the thriving night scene that they arrive at. Like (laughs) he's used to Edmonton evenings where things kind of die down. There's not a huge amount of activity. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: unless you're in like a hot spot on a holiday. Yeah, but But.
0: here it's just like there's there's a night market that's setting up. It's really quite a sight for him. Johnny leads them to an out-of-the-way place so they can kind of get their bearings, figure out where they're at, figure out where they need to go next.
1: Mm -hmm. Reference her materials, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and she says, you know, we're only about an hour's walk from our destination. Do you have it in you to make that trek? And Nick, who's sore from being crammed in a bus all day, is like, yeah, I think think we can do that. (laughs) The auroras are very noticeable.
1: Yeah, the sky, which should be very black, is sort of a dark green glowy kind of color.
0: Yeah, Nick's like, that's that's not normal around these parts, is it? And Johnny's like, new. No. <laughs> new, no, not at all. She says the non-Euclidean forces edging closer to our reality are fundamentally warping space-time, causing all sorts of gravitational and magnetic disruptions, and that Nick shouldn't think about it too hard.
1: <laughs> Which is a really nice way of saying, don't freak yourself out, and a really nice way of saying to the reader, don't dwell on this too much. <laughs> uh,
0: suffice to say, local is getting messed up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Nick is also still kind of regularly amazed by the modernity here. Um, just, it's very similar to home in so many ways. And the main thing that's jumping out at him is the ubiquitous solar panels. Naturally, Johnny's invention. Of course. They're really sticking out to him, though. And it's kind of, I read it as more subtle proof about how much Johnny has just changed the entire world. Like, he's used to seeing it locally, mm-hmm. but now he's far from home and he's still seeing this, the exact same thing. Yeah. It really drives it home for him in that moment.
1: I really appreciated the little detail that some people have arranged their little solar panels into shapes.
0: Yeah, because like why not?
1: a cat and a camel. Why yeah, not you? why not? If we had fun-shaped solar panels, I would absolutely arrange them into something.
0: A lot of cats around, too. And I'm going to pat myself on the back and say at this juncture that I noticed that the cats kept coming up before the cats became important later in the <laughs> chapter. Good for you. No sooner have they set out than they spot a suspicious SUV down the road and hear footsteps approaching. And... Nick doesn't need to read what's on the side of the SUV to know that it says cops. Yeah, he doesn't need to
1: understand the language. He recognizes a cop car when he sees one. Yeah,
0: his ethnic background in Canada has instilled a pretty healthy fear of the police. And so, like, it's an international language and he speaks it well.
1: Yeah, sad, but unfortunately true.
0: Yeah, he tells Johnny not to give them an excuse to beat them up, basically. And, like, cops just emerge from every possible exit like <laughs> cops every, everywhere every alley just swarms with cops all of a sudden and they both surrender pretty easily because while Johnny's instinct is almost certainly to try to put up a fight because she's a privileged white girl and is not going to get beaten up by the cops most likely <laughs> Nick <laughs> is like please don't please don't do this please, please no so they get arrested once again this time with zip tied hands yeah which mm- We had discussed last Mm -hmm. chapter.
1: More effective than handcuffs at keeping one restrained. Yeah.
0: They're taken to a police station, and Nick starts to get worried about how he's going to fare when he's inevitably separated from her when they arrive.
1: Mm -hmm. Nick has a little uh, PTSD moment here as they're being taken to the police station. A little bit, yeah. 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 I want to put a pin in that and come back to it a little later.
0: He also overhears Rutger's name get dropped in the conversation. Yeah. The only word he understands.
1: Yeah. Amongst this foreign language he does not understand, he very clearly hears Rutger.
0: Uh, Johnny's pretending not to pay attention during this time. Mm-hmm. but uh, Except
1: she understands what's going on.
0: When they arrive at the station, they're jostled in separately. And when Nick sees Johnny again, she has a bloody nose. <laughs> Because she punched a cop. Because of course she did.
1: Because of course she did. Johnny.
0: They get locked in a room together and Johnny is immediately like just... Like, if she looked deflated in the cop car, she's just energy and optimism again. Because it was an act. As I said, she was pretending not to pay attention. They don't appear to be supervised anymore, so now she can devise her grand escape. And the first thing she checks for is a phone signal, which she cannot get because of the concrete building. And then the man behind the stack of papers on the desk stands up and is like, please stop. (laughs) And I was like, ah! Scary man in the shadows! Had not noticed him before. He informs them that they were caught on video at the airport. little sloppy of them. And he's not planning to make the same mistakes airport security made.
1: (laughs) Which was leaving her alone?
0: Which was, like, taking their eyes off of her for a second. A mistake he will make later in this chapter. Yes, okay. He reiterates they've been taken into protective custody because Moroccan officials received word from, quote, multiple agencies concerned for Johnny's safety. Mm. He says, just basically cooperate, there won't be any trouble. There won't be any more trouble.
1: Yes, He's very clear that any harm that comes to them, they'll bring it on themselves. Yeah. Right?
0: Uh, they're to remain right there in his office under his direct supervision until their parents or guardians have been contacted. Nick is getting sore because he's been like triple zip tied behind his back. And he asks if he can be unzip tied, please. And he just gets a flat no. Johnny tries to make an excuse of needing to use the bathroom, and the guy's like, there's a bucket in the corner, you can go right there. And she's like, mm, I've changed my mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I wouldn't want to go in a bucket in front of two people either.
0: Uh, this guy's not giving them an inch. He's wise enough to know that they're going to try to escape the first chance they get. And he is correct. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He won't even give them the benefit of telling them how they were caught so easily, which is amusing, because Nick intuits Johnny asking about this as her pride being wounded. Mm -hmm. But also rightly notes, like, we're not super spies. We're a couple of teens on the run. We've never done this before. It's probably inevitable that we were going to get caught.
1: You're a scientist and an average kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Johnny finally asks for some water, and the officer reluctantly agrees to get them some. And in the split second, he takes his eyes off her. And Nick doesn't even have time to tell Johnny, please don't. And she's already attacked him.
1: Yeah, Uh, Uh, except it's effective this time.
0: Yeah, he, he fights defensively, and that's basically his fatal mistake here. Because he does not want to hurt Johnny, and she wants to hurt him. And she does. He goes for his gun finally, and that's when Nick panics and like armlessly headbutts into the fight and
1: Johnny gets a hit in because of that, right? Yeah,
0: she he's distracted long enough that Johnny smashes his head against the desk and he goes out. Yes. For a brief time.
1: For for a brief second here, I sincerely thought she might have killed him. So did Nick. As I was like reading through <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, this took a turn and then He's not dead, so I was like, oh, thank God.
0: Yeah, Nick also suspected that might be That the would case. change the
1: story considerably.
0: Johnny takes one of his many guns against Nick's protestations and nearly pantses herself, slipping it into her waistband like you uh. see on TV. Which, by the way, terrible gun safety and nearly gets her shot later on in this yeah. chapter. Not like five minutes from now. Because she thinks she puts the safety on. She clearly does not. No, because the gun goes off. The gun will go off later in this chapter. And L- there's like
1: two paragraphs later. There's
0: a brief moment where she and Nick like, I don't think it's actually said that this happens, but I intuited as like the gun goes off and they share a look. And it's that look of, I could have shot myself. <laughs> oh no. I am I am not good at gun safety. They also quickly realize they can't just waltz out of the police station. This is a terrible idea. So Plan B is to stack up boxes so they can reach out. yeah the little window in the office. Unfortunately it's jammed and they're having some trouble getting it open. And the cop starts to regain consciousness, which Nick admits he's a little relieved to note because <laughs> that means he is he's not, not badly dead. injured. Yeah. yeah. They struggle with the window a bit until they hear someone start banging on the door. That causes Johnny to fall down and for the gun to go off.
1: So now there's a big commotion in this tiny office.
0: And that's when a man bursts in gun in hand and is like stop both of you. Just stop what you're doing. And he starts, once again, binding up Johnny's hands, informs them they're being taken to a station across town, wants no further trouble. Johnny is initially a little upset and confused, but also is intuiting that something's off here. And it reads as something's off. Mm -hmm. Because the guy is in a big hurry. He's not willing to give them a clear answer on why they've been moved all of a sudden. He also seems to want to get out of the office before the other cop comes to, or fully comes to, at, at the very least. And sure enough, when they get to his car, he reveals he is, in fact, the rescue party.
1: Yes. And thank goodness. These two couldn't rescue themselves out of a paper bag, apparently.
0: Yeah. He's not a real cop. He, In fact, he appears to have been wearing some manner of illusion. Ooh. Because he, like, waves his face off, basically. and yeah, looks it, different.
1: Yeah. Got kind of strange for a second.
0: Yeah. He also says the cats have been reporting to him and his superiors about some strange goings on, and they decided to go look into it.
1: Right. So the conversation gets real confusing, Real quick, (laughs) because he starts spouting off some secret society insider info nonsense that Johnny can pick up. Nick has no idea what's going on, and neither do we.
0: And of course, as usual, Johnny is not willing to actually catch Nick up in the moment. No. Uh, She will at the end of the chapter basically just tell him, you'll see what's going on. Don't worry about it. The guy does mention that he is unwilling to drive them directly to this library they want to go to. Because his boss, a guy by the name of Tariq, wants a word first. And Johnny's like, we don't really have time for that. And he's like, too bad. I'm the one who's rescuing well, you. We're going to Tariq.
1: His answer is basically, I know you don't have time, but I agree with this meeting, so we're going anyway. Yeah, we're going
0: to Tariq anyway. And she, she's finally just like, yeah, okay, fine. And this is almost certainly the Serati Society that Johnny had mentioned back in Chapter 9. Uh, it's Chekhov's secret society has has shown up <laughs> to act as deus ex machina to get them out of a police station. What we can intuit here is that they are very aware of what's coming, seem to be aware that Johnny might be in a position to stop it, and seem willing to help her. Which kind of flies a little bit in the face of what Johnny was saying earlier in the book, when she was like, yeah, there's nobody who can help us. There's a bunch of scholars who can give me some clues, and that's about it. But now a secret society has literally rescued them from a jail. Yeah. So
1: I, I think she's using a different definition of help than Nick was.
0: This is okay, I'm going to I'm going to actually segue this into what I wanted to kind of discuss sure. after we got through this, which is that Johnny keeps making things worse for them first and foremost, uh by acting rashly to get away from the authorities. Like even if they close the gate at this juncture, they're going to be in some pretty serious trouble. And it's going to be more trouble for Nick than her because of course it is. Because
1: of course it is, yeah.
0: And for a smart girl, she's acting real dumb in a lot of these situations. Like smarts versus a- street smarts. Attacking two police officers at this juncture.
1: Uh, um, the airport
0: security officer and the cop in mm-hmm. the police station. Not terribly good ideas. Oh. And could have backfired really spectacularly. Yes. On. Likewise, I can't help but feel like Johnny could have avoided all this mess if they just brought Rutger.
1: Right? Even if she had just told him what was up.
0: Even if she had just given an excuse, I need to go to Morocco to look up a thing. She doesn't need to explain the world is ending. She could have come up with any number of excuses. And on the one hand, yes, Rutgers is a square. And on the other hand, yes, he might not fully understand what's going on. And yes, it almost certainly would put him in danger. But cutting him out created an impediment and made him concerned enough to go to the authorities. Whereas having him there would have given some legitimacy to their travel. It would have Opened up so many doors for them. And I can't help but feel that the Sarati Society is just another example of it. Earlier on, she dismissed it as, no, only the two of us can deal with this. When maybe if she had reached out to them, they could have made arrangements in Morocco before she arrived.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: And they wouldn't have had to go through all of this mess that they've gone through right now. So it's an example of, as you said, Johnny not being street smart enough to realize that despite her money and privilege... Going off half-cocked by yourself is itself a huge impediment. Yeah. Especially when something so big is at stake. Mm-hmm. Like, she could have made this much easier on both of them if she wasn't just so concerned about keeping it secret.
1: Yes. Well, and something else that relates into that that we've talked about before, uh, her, her arrogance.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: That absolutely plays into this she, here. She, she is, thinks she can do all of these things well, not and just, she's got it all sorted out and she's can save the world all by herself with Nick at her side. And we're finding out that she can't.
0: She definitely can't. And you're absolutely right. It is, it is naked arrogance. And it's because for so long, she's been able to do anything she set her mind to. And so she just believes that this is just another problem that she can breeze through. It's really not. It's really not. It's bigger than that. And
1: she's in over her head and she won't admit it.
0: She's in over her head and she doesn't recognize it.
1: She might recognize it. She won't admit it.
0: It is partly because she just doesn't have that life experience. Like, we've hammered on it quite a bit, but I think that that is one of her defining character flaws, is that for all of her super intelligence, she lacks the experience to make fully informed decisions. Yes. So she's a very smart girl who, so far, since their adventure began, has made some terrible decisions.
1: It's very true. (laughs)
0: Like, that's... That's just the failing. And this is kind of a failing of very smart people in real life. Uh, You often hear about people who can do brain surgery, but who hold really bizarre beliefs. And it's because a lot of people equate genius in one area as broad genius. And they think, well, because I'm the greatest heart surgeon in the world, obviously I can speak about all medicine.
1: Yeah, no. (laughs) When in fact,
0: no, that's not really the case. Stick to your lane.
1: Right, exactly. You might have, uh, your finances might be a horrible mess because you simply don't understand how banking works.
0: But you might be so smart and so arrogant that you just do it anyway. Right. And lie to yourself. That's another thing. Very smart people are very good at rationalizing to themselves. Because if you're very smart, you're very smart at coming up with excuses. (laughs) And so it is very easy to be like, well, I'm a genius. So obviously I'm making the right decisions and the fact that no one else recognizes that is their own shortfall. And I think that's kind of the situation Johnny may have stumbled into here. Maybe. She is a very smart girl. She knows she's a very smart girl. Everything is going according to plan, you guys. Like, don't worry about
1: it. These are just little hiccups, minor details. The big, the big picture is still in place.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've discussed this before in other books. There are times when you miss the forest for the trees. And this is a case where she might be missing the trees for the forest.
1: <laughs> Quite possibly.
0: Where you're so focused on the the big scope that you forget to worry about the little stuff. And to be fair, uh, Nick's flaw thus far in many cases has been that he's too busy focusing on the trees To notice the forest. They need to meet each other halfway here.
1: You think these two would balance themselves out?
0: The reason that they don't, though, is because Johnny's such a force of nature. She's such a huge personality and ego that Nick just keeps getting swept up in it. And while he is not afraid to call her on her failings, it usually takes a while for him to do it. Like, he has to build and build and build before he explodes. Mm -hmm. And then she backs down, but for the most part, she just like, takes his hand and Off they go, and he just kind of lets it happen. And I think that this has been a dynamic of their relationship since they were very
1: little. Mm -hmm. I think now is a good time to take that pin out and talk about Nick.
0: Let's talk about Nick.
1: I find Nick to be a fascinating case. Honestly, I, I should have gone into psychology. I should have been a psychologist because I find this infinitely fascinating. Nick clearly has a confidence problem.
0: Yes, I think that part of that is because he's been living in Johnny's shadow for so long. Oh, absolutely. He can't, he can't help but measure himself against his best friend, and he always comes up short. Mm-hmm. And it not he help, help it. And it doesn't help that, like, he has a domineering mother who keeps putting him down. Yeah. So he doesn't have a great family situation, which is just reinforcing that.
1: All right, and he has to deal with systemic racism. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And his the fact whole... that he is, like lower middle class at best yeah his whole life there's a we can check off check off a whole bunch of boxes in the why nick has a confidence problem yeah for sure for sure and in the in the same vein as we've just been discussing uh johnny clearly has an overconfidence problem and again you think these two would even out but that's not how things work i find nick's little uh ptsd moment to be very fascinating uh in relation to his character and I kind of wish I I did study psychology because I could speak to it a little more. I think it's I think it's really neat. It first of all, it's a beautiful character piece. It tells us a lot about him in just like one little paragraph about how deeply that event has impacted his psyche.
0: Oh yeah. Right? Even though he repressed much of it, it's Still deep down in the back of it, in, in his lizard brain affecting the rest of his life.
1: Right. And it's and it's always relating to like darkness, right? And and cold and things that remind you of something like deep and evil and dark in the other sense.
0: It's interesting because as well during that little vignette and I didn't make a real note about it, um, so this is just based off of my memory of the chapter. He talks about how they, he, like he kind of had given into despair and the understanding that no one appeared to be coming to help him and Johnny because they were there so long and that they could only really rely on themselves. And it's interesting to juxtapose that with the rest of this chapter because they are trying to rely on only themselves and they keep coming up short. Mm-hmm. Like basically but since help. since the practically the moment they left... Canada, for Morocco, like the only reason they get out of trouble this time is because someone does show up to help almost immediately in the very nick of time. Yeah. It's just, it's an interesting juxtaposition of the situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and even if you relate to the very end of the last chapter, uh, Nick has this, yeah, but I have the secret weapon. I have this ace up my sleeve. They don't know, like they don't know Johnny. Johnny will save us. And even as he thinks that, he feels in his heart that it just feels hollow yep that that he's not confident in that statement that he's that he's made himself inside his own head
0: yeah let's be clear johnny is super competent and probably is capable of slamming shut the gate and stopping them
1: goodness i hope so
0: the problem is that she's going about it the wrong way so far yeah
1: well i don't i don't know if we should call it the wrong way with air quotes
0: I mean, she's not going about it the easy way. We'll put it that way. No, she's certainly not going about it the easy way. She absolutely has the wealth and influence that she could have come up with an excuse to go to this library. She could have come up with an excuse to go globetrotting. Rutger probably wouldn't have blinked twice about it if she'd had just any excuse other than trying to cut him out, keeping things secret and quiet from him, and then running off with Nick by herself. Which, let's be fair, kind of concerning when your ward is a 17-year-old girl.
1: Yeah. No, I know. From the outs, she doesn't understand the optics of it.
0: No, and from I, from Nick's perspective, yeah, it looks real bad for Rutger. But if you're sitting back and looking at it logically, no, he kind of made the right call here. <laughs> if he did squeal on them, and again, we don't know for sure. We have his name dropped in a conversation we don't understand, and we have Nick's assumption that this is the case. Yeah. And I don't want to
1: put no, this on Rutger right. when,
0: when we don't have solid evidence yet. It could have been him. I'm not saying it wasn't. But if he did... It was not a terrible decision for him to do. Of course not. It was a very sound and logical decision for him to make in that moment. Just saying.
1: No, I agree. He was
0: acting like a rational adult. Yes. (laughs) Something that Johnny does not have the maturity to do.
1: (laughs) No. Yeah. Even in that, it all loops around to Nick. Because we're always in his head, he is always imagining the worst case scenario.
0: Uh, He is 100% a pest. He is
1: a good kid in trouble, and that is... Terrifying to him. Yeah. Right? His thoughts repeatedly are if I die, Johnny's gonna take my bag and step over me because someone has to close the gate.
0: Yep. Right. She's
1: focused on the mission, I don't matter.
0: She'll mourn me later.
1: Yeah, basically. He's always imagining that they're going to get shot or dead or mutilated or 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 it's always something horrible is going to happen to them. <laughs> he's constantly feeling ignorant, which isn't entirely his fault because Johnny won't tell him anything. Yeah. You end up feeling bad for him because he's kind of spiraling <laughs> out of control.
0: Yeah, he's he's a natural pessimist and this situation is not helping that.
1: No, not at all.
0: And conversely, Johnny, of course, is very optimistic. Again, the two of them in theory balance each other out, but in theory. the equilibrium is way off and way they off. are... Agreed. Not, <laughs> they have Not. They have not met in the middle as a formidable duo yet. Mm-hmm.
1: And now, now our story has taken a turn, right? Because of this mysterious stranger who has picked them up and who talks to cats and who knows what's going well, on. Well, we don't know
0: that he specifically talks to the cats. But you know what I mean, yeah. right?
1: Like, things just got a little weird.
0: I mean, things were already pretty weird.
1: No, but now we're into it. Weird things were happening around us. And now, weird things are going to start happening to us. The so sure. weird things are much closer now.
0: <laughs> Want to talk? Want to open the Lovecraft box quickly? Oh, I sure do. Crack it open. <laughs> Lovecraft loved cats a lot. Really? His favorite.
1: I did not know that.
0: He wrote whole stories about cats. And How have we been there's... married
1: this long, and I did not know that?
0: You'll note when I was talking about the Elder Gods in the last chapter, mm-hmm. I did mention Bast. Bastet mm-hmm. as one of the gods that yeah, shows up in Lovecraft's mythos.
1: The uh, Egyptian god with a cat head.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hit a thing for cats. So cats do feature prominently in a number of his stories and through his fiction. There are space cats. <laughs> space cats. And, and dream cats. Uh, and so like it's not impossible that, uh, that that's the reason why Premi Mohammed has chosen to have cats be harbingers of the Serati society.
1: Uh, I think it just means she knows her stuff.
0: I would say yes, definitely. But mm-hmm. I just uh, thought I'd point that out, that that technically is a little Lovecraftian flavor.
1: Love it. A even little Lovecraft spice. Even
0: if it's not tentacled monsters and squamous fishmen, it is still a Lovecraft thing that cats, magic cats, <laughs> it's t- totally in keeping with not, this fiction.
1: Not an outright reference, but a little flavor.
0: I am not pointedly going to tell you the name of H.P. Lovecraft's cat because it is a racial slur. So let's just put that in there as well. Lovecraft... Kind of racist.
1: Yeah. Sad but true.
0: I like his stories. Not going to sugarcoat it. Kind of racist.
1: Like, (laughs) this is one of those cases where you like the art, not necessarily the artist. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. uh, On that note, though, we will uh, wrap up Chapter 12. You're going to want to read up on Chapter 13 in time for next week. And in the meantime, we've had many longtime supporters of the Alberta Podcast Network. One of those longtime supporters was the founder of the Alberta Podcast (laughs) Network. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, The one, the only, the Karen Unland. And in addition to still being an active member of the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, she and her daughter Elizabeth, of course, have, have the podcast, That's a Thing. Uh, just free shout out for that real quick. But Karen has since kind of shifted away from the network to work on some other projects, and that includes Taproot Edmonton, and Nita is going to tell you a little bit about it.
1: This episode of the Read Along is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories topical newsletters, and locally focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. On the Taproot Edmonton Presents podcast, you'll find Conversations, an occasional series of discussions exploring various aspects of our community. The first Conversations episode is about the themes raised by Makings of a Voice, a theatrical song cycle by Dana Wiley, which will premiere at Skirts of Fire in March. I assume that means next March. It is now June. <laughs> Taproot Edmonton Presents is also home to Igniting Edmonton, a six part look at the city's tech innovation sector. Look for Taproot Edmonton Presents in the podcatcher of your choice or visit presents.taprootedmonton.ca. Fun fact I went to theater school with Dana Wiley. Lovely. She is uber talented. There is nothing that woman cannot do. There you
0: go. Yeah. Edmonton. You can learn more about them and the other supporters of the podcast network at the Alberta Podcast Network website. Uh, you can also find all of the other member podcasts, get a little get a little taste of those, mm-hmm. see if it might be up your alley. If you do like them, by checking them out at albertapodcastnetwork.com, you can find them on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, you might consider giving us a little rating and a review. We'd, we'd
1: like that. It'd, it'd be nice. You yeah. know, just saying.
0: Like, look, we we know we're not a huge podcast. We don't have millions of listeners. We have dozens of listeners. We're we appreciate each and every one of you. One hundred percent. But it does help our optics a little bit uh, to get those reviews because it bumps us up a little bit in the in the visibility on those podcasters. So we do appreciate it. You can also reach out to us on social media.
1: Absolutely. We are on Twitter. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read-along on most of those. Yeah,
0: except Goodreads, basically. We're just the read-along Yeah, we're just the read-along there. On Goodreads. Uh, You can also reach out to us on email.
1: We are thereadalong at gmail.com.
0: And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time.
1: Next stop, Magic Gate?